Hello and welcome to the University Guide Podcast, a podcast that aims to share knowledge and expertise about topics of relevance for international university applications. I'm David Hawkins, and this episode is part two of a mini-series looking at the two US standardised tests for undergraduate entry, the SAT and the ACT. For this episode, I wanted to delve into the particular issues that students at UK schools might face when thinking about these tests, and top tips of how to overcome them. My guests specialise in helping students in the UK prepare for the SAT and the ACT, and, like me, he's a Brit who has learned these processes as an outsider, rather than having grown up with them. His viewpoint, therefore, is a really powerful one, as I'll hope you'll hear. Delighted to be joined by my good friend Jason Smith from UES Education. Jason, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks, David. Great. So you guys do huge amounts of work with um, students at UK schools who are looking to take SAT or or ACT. Um, I don't mind just a little bit of overview of UES Education and kind of the, the context of what you're doing. Sure. So we are essentially specialists in US applications uh, and for the most part that is tuition and courses for the SAT and ACT. We do do other things regarding US applications but as I'm sure you're aware one of the biggest parts of an application or rather one of the most time time consuming parts of an application is preparing for the SAT and ACT. Particularly in the UK there are lots of students who need help with that because they don't realise the uh, the, the difficultiness of the uh, of the test, uh, but we work in that regard with a large number of schools across UK and Europe, and we also help teachers uh, not just for the test prep but also for US applications in general through training for the teachers, and we also run events for teachers and US colleges across the UK as well. Great. So the, kind of really want to focus down onto the challenges for kids in the UK education system for preparing for these tests and I think it's probably quite different for kids in other parts of the world potentially if they're in an international school following a US curriculum where they don't have the same issues mm-hmm. for a kid you know, either a British kid or a student who's studying in a UK school what are the key things they're going to need to think about as they start to consider SAT or ACT? Well I think one of the key things is actually considering it first of all I think one of the okay. difficulties with UK students is that they don't see these tests coming they might have this idea about applying to the US, and I'm sure you face the same difficulties, which is trying to get them to think about it early enough. One of the main reasons they need to think about US applications early is because of the length of time it takes to prepare for these tests. So the main difficulty is trying to convince students, parents, and schools uh, that they need to start thinking about international applications, particularly US ones, quite early. And then at that point, starting to introduce the idea of the standardised tests and particularly the idea of preparing for them over a long period of time. So that's really the first challenge that we have, is trying to get hold of the schools and the students early enough. But then when they do become familiar with the tests, or rather familiar with the the fact that the test exists, uh, we then need to um, get them to start preparing for them and not underestimating them. So one of our key problems is trying to convince very good students who might be really good at maths and English in school that they do need to practice and they do need to prepare properly for these tests. What normally happens is that a good student will take the test for the first time and be quite humbled by their experience and they might have been um, a straight A star student at um, A level or at GCSE 
uh, and then they come out with quite average scores in the test. And they, they, what they don't understand is that these tests are much faster, much trickier, much more exhausting than any sort of test they've done before. So trying to get students familiar with the, the idea of standardised testing uh, is quite a difficult one. There are other aspects around the test, such as the essay style, which is uh, much easier to, to help students with as long as they start preparing in advance. Um, and the other issue is, is trying to get students to choose the right test because they can do the SAT or ACT, uh, but a lot of students have just heard of the SAT, so they think that's the one they have to do, and they don't realise they could do another test, and actually that might suit them better. Uh, but sometimes what happens is by the time they've, they, they've understood that they have to take a test, then it's quite late in the process, and suddenly they're rushing to take the test while they're doing their A-level preparation, and suddenly everything becomes a bit overwhelming. So really, I can sum that all up by saying the real difficulty is trying to get students to start preparing early enough for the tests. Okay, and so if you've got teachers who are listening on to this and you know, using it as a resource to find out about it, um, mm. obviously you and I quite often do our lovely little double act going into schools where we have relationships, giving that, that talk. But for a school yeah. that's potentially completely new to this, you know, when should they be flagging up to their students that, that these are tests that, 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 as you say, they need to be aware of and need to start considering? Well, ideally, schools would be communicating the idea of international applications, particularly US applications, at the end of year 11, so at the end of grade 10. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that a lot of schools don't have a sixth form, or students will be leaving school and going to a different sixth form, which means that there's a gap in communications there. So for schools that take on students at, at the beginning of year 12, beginning of lower six, then they need to be doing it straight away at the beginning of lower six. So those students, even though they're going to have a lot on their plate at that point, trying to work out what A-level choices or IB choices they're going to take, um, trying to think about where in the world they might be applying to university, they re do really at that point seriously need to start thinking about preparing for the tests um, if they're going to have a decent chance of getting a very good score. So the schools really need to be um, holding information evenings or even compulsory lunchtime talks um, about US applications very early on at the beginning of lower six. Um, schools who are able to, if they can give a sort of information evening or parental evening uh, about the opportunities in international universities at the end of year 11, then that would also be really good because at least then the students and the parents can go away and think, right, maybe this is something we'd be interested in, they might let that idea brew over the summer and then they can come back at the beginning of year 12 and know what they've got to do at that point. Great. Uh, I'm sorry, you just flag up. I'll get Jason to give his contact details at the end of the podcast and, and mine are obviously also in the in the show notes. So any school advisors had a sixth form and you're thinking, that's a really great idea. How do we do this? Please get in touch with one of either of us. And, you know, I joke, but Jason and I do a pretty good double act in terms yeah. of, of talking about this kind of stuff. Well, I think it's one of the best double acts going, David. Absolutely. Laurel and Hardy. We should be paid. Us. For it, we should <laughs> stop doing it for free. Great. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so so if we overcome that hurdle and the kids are kind of right, through, through work at their schools, through speaking to people like us or, or others, now clocked onto the fact, okay, applying to university in the US is, is a slightly different process than going through the UK and I need to think about it. And they then start engaged with the testing. What other hurdles are they then going to face in terms of getting to grips with, with these tests? Well, the, the main hurdle they're going to face is trying to become familiar with the 
the process of completing a standardized test. Uh, because standardized tests are mostly multiple choice, and even the bits where they're not multiple choice, such as uh, parts of the maths on the SAT, it's still not the same as their usual exams, uh, like GCSEs and, and A-levels, where they will be marked on their workings. They still have to get the right answer, and that's what they're judged on. So what students need to get to grips with is the idea of getting to the right answer very quickly and accurately, both in the English and in the maths. And that can be quite a difficult process for students because they're used to thinking about questions in a, a broader context, which is a really good skill to have and something that's taught in great depth at GCSE and A-level. Um, and they have to try to get out of that mindset to just focusing on getting very quickly to the correct answer. That's a skill that's learned over time. It's not something that you can just revise for. And the, the mistake that a lot of students make is, is thinking, well, you know, for GCSE, I just crammed for a couple of weeks before and I did really well, so I can do it for these tests. It is basically impossible. There are some weirdos out there who are just amazing at standardized tests and they don't need any help and they can just go and do it and they get it straight away. But most people are not like that. And people like that have to um, do a lot of practice to start getting their brain into the way of thinking in standardized tests. So when I talk about way of thinking, what I mean is that they, they don't just need to know the content. So there will be some maths and maybe a bit of American English that they will need to know. Um, but really, they need to understand the technique. So how do they look at a question, understand very quickly, what is this actually asking me? And how do I eliminate all the the bump that's in the question and just get to the, the crux of it really quickly to answer the question um, in the very short amount of time that they have. Um, to put it in context, in the ACT, you get on average about 49 seconds a question. So that, that is pretty quick and way quicker than students um, understand. So a lot of the time when students first start taking these tests, they just run out of time. They don't understand the pace they've got to go at to try and get to the end of the test. But over time, they can do that. And it's like working a muscle. They have to start flexing this standardized testing muscle in their brain that allows them to focus very heavily on, on something for a, a long period of time. And over time, they can, they can learn that. Um, so it's really about trying to become familiar with that style of testing. Uh, and having the confidence then when they go into the exam that they can just replicate that. Because once they've done enough of the practice, they they should be pretty confident that the same sort of questions are going to come up. Yes, they're going to be worded differently, there's going to be different uh, reading passages, but they know what the test is actually looking for. Um, and that's something that British students in particular are not very familiar with when they first start preparing for these tests. Great. So I guess kind of leading on from that... Um I think something that your colleagues and, and mine all kind of fundamentally agree on is, is that relationship with the, the school that the students are mm. at and, and building the, making sure that's an open and clear relationship. Mm. But actually hearing you say that, I think, makes me think it's even more important that actually you, you really fundamentally need to know what is the experience that students had educationally up to, the, to that point yeah. to be able to take them from, from where they are in the British context towards what they're going to be assessed on in, in the US process. Is, is that kind of correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, th there's certain subject areas where that's more true than others. So the, the maths is the big one. And it's the area that students, if they're not good at maths, they get most worried about because 
they probably haven't done it since GCSE, they didn't think they'd ever have to do maths again, and suddenly they're being told they've got to do maths and they'll have to do it at university and they can get quite worried about that. So understanding what the students' aims are, so in terms of the universities that they're, they're applying to and, and what level of maths they would need for those, um, and understanding what uh, things that they most enjoy at school are and how they did in their maths exams previously, that will really influence um, the way that they have to prepare for these tests. Because the very good math students, what they need to do is become very good at the technique. We don't really need to teach them the content. Um, but with the weaker math students, there's not much point in teaching them the really hard stuff or, or the, the weird topics that are only going to come up once every few tests because they're never going to get into the, uh, the range of scores um, that the extremely good mathematicians are going to get. Um, so what they need to do is become very good at the fundamentals, and this might be something that they have never really been pushed on. I'm just talking about maths here. This also occurs on the English side of things. Um, we see lots of students who are extremely good at maths and science um, and have never really put much emphasis on their English skills, particularly things like grammar. Um, and grammar is still something that is not taught that in-depth at school. So getting those students to understand the, the grammar rules and the logic behind the English um, can sometimes be a bit of a struggle as well. Uh, but understanding what the student uh, is like at school, understanding what their ambitions are can, can really influence what we put the most emphasis on when training students to do well at these tests. Right. I, I guess leading on from that kind of the, the thought occurs to me um, is obviously you and I are both British. We've you know, been through the system, mm -hmm. and we have have fallen in love with the opportunities for kids to study in other countries, yeah. particularly the US, and and kind of have learned that system. But actually, mm -hmm. within kind of this world, not just in in the UK but internationally, you know, we are unusual in that you know we aren't Americans who've moved to the UK and have the right accents and and you know can do it that way. Mm. Do you feel you know for a British student? it's better to work with a British person who's been through that process and equally likewise you know someone who's in in Nigeria should use someone who's kind of understands that local context and the same with someone in, in other parts of the world yeah I guess generally is there an advantage to working with someone who's been where you are and has had to learn this system as well as opposed to someone who you know might have the right accent and have been to the, the right university mm. but doesn't potentially get the experience that you're having at school I, I think that's a really good point um, and I think it's it's true up to a point, um, there, certainly Americans who have just lived in America and been through the American system and gone to an American university won't be anywhere near as familiar with the struggles and the difficulties that the British students might have trying to get through the British system and then convert it to the US system. So having a tutor who um, went through the UK system and ended up in America can be um, quite a big benefit because they will understand what those students are going through. They'll understand the fact that they're trying to put so much time into a, a limited number of A-levels, for instance, uh, and trying to juggle that work that they've got there. But if you have someone who's been through that and understands uh, that it is possible if you do things the right way, then that can be very motivating for students. And um, same as you said for students in other countries, um, 
if they if you have a student in Nigeria who's got a, a tutor in America, that tutor in America might not know anything about the, the sort of background, the, the sort of school that the student goes to in Nigeria, and um, might end up giving them unrealistic goals um, and perhaps unrealistic amounts of homework that they have to yeah. do uh, to try and get through the tests. Um, I say it's only true up to a point because even Americans um, had to work really hard on these tests. Um, and there's often this kind of misconception that Americans have been preparing for these tests since they were 12. It's still not really true. They, they are aware of the tests and they can see them coming, but, but most will still only start preparing in, um, if they're lucky, end of grade 10, beginning of grade 11. Um, so they will still understand that they take a lot of work and a lot of effort to get through. But you are right that having an appreciation of the, the background of the student and what their schooling system is like is quite important. Great. So kind of last question then, if we, you know, we're doing the purpose here of flagging things up and, and doing what the challenges mm -hmm. are. You know, if a student or, or, or a head of sixth form or a parent is listening to this and thinking, right, okay, we understand these tests, we understand we're going to have to prepare for it, you know, what should their next step be? So that you know, they prick, click end on the podcast and they start mm -hmm. to, to think about it next. What is that next step of the journey? The first step should be choosing the right test um, and sometimes even deciding whether they need to do a test. My advice on, on that second question is... Um, it's always better to do the test if you're not sure, because what you don't want to do is say, well, you know, I'm probably just going to apply to test optional school, so I won't do a test. I think, first of all, that's a bad idea because you're going to close doors. Um, and secondly, you might change your mind later anyway. So it's better to do the test and uh, at least give yourself the opportunity. Then you've got to choose the right test. And there's the SAT and ACT, and we could talk all day about... Yeah which is the right test to do and, and how much people like one over the other and what the difficulties are with one and the other. But both tests still exist. Um, both have um, plus points and minus points. And the, really, the overriding thing is that the student should choose the test that's right for them. Don't just assume you've got to do the SAT because that's the one you've heard of in American sitcoms. You've got to look at both tests and, and work out uh, which one would I score most highly in. Now, for some people, they don't get that choice because let's say you're living in Jersey where only the SAT is offered, then uh, it's probably better to do the SAT rather than having to travel across the sea every couple of months to go and do the ACT. Um, but for people living in the UK, generally you've got a choice of both. Um, I will give you a very quick rundown of the differences. The maths is slightly harder in the SAT. Um, the math is slightly easier but broader in the ACT. However, the SAT is much more um, or less time pressured than the ACT. Both are quite fast, but the ACT is slightly faster uh, than the SAT and requires slightly faster processing speed. Um, to make it easy, because there are lots of nuanced difficulties between the two, we got a free diagnostic test, which um, I'm sure David will give you all the link to afterwards. Um, and that helps students to work out which test they might score better in just by looking at their ability on the different types of questions and their speed. Um, so that's the first thing. They've got to work out which test is best for them. Once they've done that, the next thing they've got to do is register for the tests. Um, it's, it's always a mistake that people make is, is thinking, well, what I'll do is start preparing, see how good I am and then register. The problem is test centres get booked up. 
you've got to register about five weeks before the test anyway. So let's say you're just starting the process now and you're in year uh, year 12. Really, you'd want to think about registering for the March SAT or the April ACT as a first shot. Because if you don't do that, suddenly the next test date is going to be May for the SAT and June for the ACT. And you're approaching the end of uh, year 12 and you may not get the scores you want. And then suddenly you're faced with having to prepare over the summer. So those are the first two things. Choose the right test. Register for a test date. Just by registering for a test date, students suddenly become more motivated <laughs> because they've got a date in mind and they're aiming towards it. Yeah, and and that is quite a powerful um, a powerful motivator, I think. Um, and then they've got to start preparing. Um, people prepare in different ways. Most people get some sort of help. So I'm not going to sit here and tell everyone that they've got to do really expensive private tuition. That's not true. There are lots of other ways of getting help. Um, group courses are a good introduction to the test because they should teach students what they need to know in terms of content and technique and then they should be motivated to go away and keep practicing themselves. Some students will come back for more private tuition after that um, but having someone who at least spends a few hours with you saying this is the way you've got to think about the test and this is how much work you've got to be doing each day then that will help the student go away and if they follow that should hopefully be in a good position to score well on their first test. Um, so really those are the, the first things they've got to do. They've got to choose the test, register for the test and then get some direction in practicing for the test. Sounds great. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well Jason thank you so much for giving the detail. I mean the, I don't know of anybody who knows you know, these tests in the British context as well as you do and, and the work you and your colleagues do is, is hugely appreciated by, by British students and schools like the back of the country. It's very niche knowledge. Um, yep. But but there we go. That's that's what we do. Um, for, for those people who do want to or get hold of you guys, where do you exist on the web? What's the email? What's the social media that they can follow you on? Sure. The easiest way to find us is on the web. It's uneseducation.com. Uh, you can always get hold of us by emailing our general email, which is info at ueseducation.com. If people want to get in touch with me directly, I don't mind. That's jason at ueseducation.com. You can also call us, and that's 020-772-4833. And uh, we always welcome people just phoning up and asking us for advice and um, we're more than happy to go into schools and talk to teachers and ideally groups of students and parents as well. So just drop me an email if you'd like us to come along and do that. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jason. No problem, David. Thank you. It was great of Jason to give such cogent advice about the SAT and the ACT and his work with schools length and breadth of the UK to raise awareness of the nuances of these tests is absolutely first rate. I certainly enjoy working closely with UES Education in this drive, and it's clear from what he says that there is an information gap for many students that can potentially leave them not hitting their potential. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and please look out for the third in this mini-series coming soon. The topic will be becoming an SAT or an ACT centre, and what you might need to consider as you go through this process. Please do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and if you want more information, get in touch via www.theuniversityguide.com.